1: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio.
0: Is the Star of Bethlehem part of history as we know it documented in the Gospel, the Gospel according to Matthew? Or is it a mystery? This is what I love about our faith is as you dive into the texts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're actually written as Greco-Roman biographies in a way that was consistent with the time in which they were written, that would document historical events, historical people, and specifically a Greco-Roman biography chronicling the life of a particular person. And so if we take this as it was considered at the time and even to today by historians, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John our historical documents. And here's what's fascinating. We have this mysterious star that appears and the wise men follow. Is it a real star? Well, we'll dive into that a little later on today. I'm trending. It's the end-ish of Advent. We're going into these final days leading up to Christmas. And our gaze in the church is called to some pretty heavy topics. As we prepare to celebrate the Christ child, this innocent baby, we are also here being called by the church to ponder death. To ponder death, the judgment, heaven, and hell. And so we are in the midst of this four part series of death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And today we take up the topic of judgment. What do you know about judgment? Are you curious? Do you want to learn more? We'll give you kind of a Sparks Notes version of understanding the significance of judgment, but also starting to take a little more seriously the things we do in our lives. And this is what Advent's all about preparing the way of the Lord, preparing for the time of our judgment. And What better way to do that than this season of Advent and going to confession? I really challenge you this Advent. Make one thing on your to-do list and that bucket list before every gift is given and received, before every meal is made, through every party is planned and house is cleaned, that you remember before even planning necessarily all of the timing for how many masses and which masses you go to this year because... Christmas Eve is on Sunday, so we have to fulfill both a Sunday obligation along with a Christmas Day obligation. Lots to navigate. I'll tell you what we're doing this year. My family's always had the tradition of going to Christmas Eve Mass, and so I'm not a fan personally usually of going to vigil Saturday Masses. i I feel like Sunday is the day that, you know, the Lord has made. It's a day that we're meant to go to church. And I personally just don't, I'm not crazy about going to vigil masses. I kind of look at Sunday and go, well, what do I do on Sunday if I'm not going to mass? But this year we are going to the Saturday night vigil for mass. So that's how we're navigating getting our two masses in. And if you have any questions about that, we're happy to take that as well. But another way you could go is you could go to Sunday daytime morning mass, which a lot of parishes have navigated a little bit different of a mass schedule on Sunday. So be aware because the Sunday mass schedule might be different in the morning than you're used to. And then going, you could go two in one day, you could do then the vigil mass for Christmas, celebrating Christmas mass, or you could go to Christmas day. So there's your PSA, your public service announcement for the day on navigating everything surrounding mass this year, because it's a little more complicated than usual when Christmas and Christmas Eve fall directly around that, that Sunday obligation that we have. But what a joy, what a great season. So we'll dive into the topic of judgment a little later on here on the show, because I think I totally got distracted talking about our Sunday obligation. Joining me today on Trending is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. And he's on the front line and working with people who struggle with their sexuality, especially same-sex attraction, among other topics. You, Michael, have also shared your testimony here on Trending before, if you want to share any of that, um, kind of qualifying this topic. But I thought it was so timely that you and I come together today to have a conversation about the latest news coming out of the Vatican, which has stirred international headlines. Uh, There's this attempt in our culture today to try and make something impossible happen. And that thing is what you're probably hearing as claimed to have occurred in mainstream media. That is, the church has changed its teaching and that people who are in same-sex relationships, quote, gay relationships, can now get married in the church or have their marriage blessed by the church. And so today, to give some clarification distinction, the Vatican released a really important document on the meaning of blessings, what it means to give and receive a blessing and diving historically into the biblical tradition of blessing. So I might go up to father and say, may I have a blessing? I'm getting ready to come on the radio show. Can you please bless me? Pray for me Uh, that I might only speak the words that our Lord has in store and only his teaching. Uh, A baby Often priests love to bless babies or when a priest is first ordained, the tradition of the church is that after the priest is ordained, he has a very special blessing that he can impart for the first year of his priesthood. And it's highly encouraged within the church that if you know a brand new priest that you ask him to impart his new blessing as a priest upon you. And so we'll dive into a little bit of the theology of blessing, but here's what happened. In this document, it was really taking up this top, this issue from the Dicaster of the Doctrine of Faith at the Vatican of blessings for same-sex unions. And the confusing headline is that these unions are blessed when the the point, in fact, of the matter is, is that everyone can receive a blessing and that people who are in adverse lifestyles, even contrary to what the Catholic Church teaches, can actually receive a blessing. But the mainstream headlines today are, today are claiming the idea that if people are in a same-sex union, quote, according to the culture, a same-sex marriage, that they can be blessed by, that that union can be blessed by the church. That's completely contrary to what the document teaches. I've dove in I've read the whole document, highlighted pieces that we can discuss and dive into. And joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparo. He has also read the document. We're going to shed some light and clarification on a topic that is pretty serious and I think there's a lot of negligence on the part of mainstream media. And one, just understanding what a sacrament versus a blessing is, Michael, and also Mm -hmm. trying to change what the church teaches and the perception of the eyes of the world. Welcome to Trending.
1: Thanks, and I think it's really important when we start any conversation like this, which can be such a divisive, polarizing topic, to keep in mind this idea that God is one and that when we speak about things, are in my opinion, as lay people in the church, but even in the hopes of how the leaders would speak about things, would be in a way that orients us towards unity as a church as opposed towards heightening polarization and i think that principle is really important because god longs for us to be one and not to be in these like scattered corners of the of the faith
0: mm, yes and the document's really clear it actually i thoroughly enjoyed reading the document because it provided clarity as sometimes even within the church have a hard time distinguishing um, how they can navigate this topic. And so let's just dive in a little bit. It's really clear in the document that, that the declaration of the church, and this is what's I think maybe startling people, is that this is referred to as a declaration, a declaration on the specific topic of blessing same-sex unions are same-sex people who are in same-sex relationships. And, and
1: irregular, people are th- other irregular and, situations too, which could be like yes. divorced and remarried Catholics and things like that.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so in these situations, um, the the document specifically addressing this topic, it's been a topic that has been, uh, I think, up for debate over the last two years in the mainstream media as they lack the understanding that the sacraments of the church can't change. So I think a good starting point is to distinguish between a sacrament and a blessing anyone can receive a blessing. A blessing can be given to someone uh, by a priest. We could even bless each other. For example, the authority, especially of the father of the home, to bless his children has always been a huge part of biblical tradition, both Old Testament and New. Uh, But we can also bless the Lord. For example, the document refers to sacred scripture. For example, Psalm 103, where we read, Bless the Lord, my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. We're reading the words of the Mm -hmm. psalmist David and praising and blessing God. Or in Numbers chapter 6, we read, May the Lord bless you and keep you. This is a priestly blessing being imparted. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift you up in his countenance and upon you and give you peace. I love these prayers of blessing, but it shows that there are different types of blessings that people can receive, which is radically different from a sacrament, such as holy communion, holy orders. The sacrament only made possible between one man, one woman marriage, which the teaching document very much so clarifies.
1: Right. And and it's also even going beyond just saying within the sacraments, but this document is talking about a blessing given by a priest outside of the rites prescribed by the liturgical books as well. So this is not even meant to be done in any kind of ritualized format. Um, As the document says, this blessing should never be imparted in concurrence with the ceremonies of a civil union and not even in connection with them, nor can it be performed with any clothing, gestures, or words that are proper to a wedding. And the same applies when the blessing is requested by a same-sex couple, and it's saying that either a same-sex couple or an irregular marriage, those are the two terms. And, and I think it's also, I love the discussion around blessing and just sort of defining our terms, because we all seek blessing from God and seek to bless God in return and bless our fellow man. And that aspect of the spiritual life of, of invoking God's blessing or seeking God's blessing for ourselves is a beautiful anchor point for this conversation.
0: And here's the bottom line. The church calls its priests to bless people, not sin. And I think that if you were to take one thing away from the confusion of the headlines, the church blesses people. And the document, as you mentioned, and I'll just reiterate what you said, because I think that's really key. The the priests are being told, this is really a document for the priests to impart blessings and pope francis in this vatican document very clearly emphasizes we're not we don't want a simple blessing to be taken out of context we don't want it to become some formal thing that is given. People come up all the time to priests and say, oh, Father, will you bless me? People in, in airports, when you run into a priest, I've done it in an airport, uh, when they're traveling, when they're on pilgrimage, when they come to a priest because they're struggling with something. I've had family members who are in unhealthy situations in life, maybe an a- addictive situation. Father, can you please pray for this person? And Father can impart his blessing. It's not a a condoning of an addictive lifestyle. It's praying for God's grace to intervene. And God willing, the person who is receiving the blessing is wanting to conform his or her life to the church and is asking for God's mercy and grace to help do so.
1: Well, yeah, and that's a really important aspect of this. So a lot of what we're going to unpack here is what are the confusing aspects of this based on media reporting? Because I don't think the document's actually very confusing. I just think. The way people comment on the media and some of the media stories, they tend to ask people who are extremely polarized in one way or the other. For instance, when they ask people who really want the church to change its moral teachings on same-sex unions, they take this and they run with it to make it seem like it's a bigger shift than it is. And when they they interview people who really don't like Pope Francis, they try to use this as a point of encouraging division and schism in the church. And I think that's why it's great that we're saying, Hey guys, read listeners who care, read the document. It's not very long. It's about a 15 minute read. Um, but if you don't want to read it, just try to at least look between the li- read between the lines of who's commenting on it and what is their perspective on the situation already? Because this is sort of revealing. It's telling how you respond if it's extreme. Cause the document itself, while it is not totally the same business as usual it is not extreme and so one of the things I want to unpack to Timory, is what are some of the things that might be worthy of consideration that are distinct or maybe an advancement in our pastoral care for people in in irregular marriages or in same-sex unions and one of the things that comes to mind to Timory is this especially important line I hope you don't mind I'd like to read another line here it says in this situation in such cases a blessing may be imparted that not only has an ascending value, but also involves the invocation of a blessing that descends from God upon those who, and this is really important, Timory, who, recognizing themselves to be destitute and in need of this help, do not claim a legitimation of their own status, but who beg that all that is true, good, and humanly valid in their lives and their relationships be enriched, healed and elevated by the presence of the holy spirit so that is there's a lot in that line in fact i think that might be the Mm -hmm. most uh business as usual and the most challenging aspect of this document all in one line and i'd love to hear your thoughts on it and then i'll offer some of my own too
0: the church is just being really clear here we want to give blessings to people god's mercy god's blessing is there this is not absolution and confession this isn't the sacrament of matrimony. It's not any of those things. It's a blessing. And that I think that significance is so key. And so when we come in and then see the church is saying, yeah, people in less than ideal in the eyes of the church situation, everyone's invited. We're the church for the sinners, not just saints. You have to be a sinner to get to sainthood. And yes, unless you're the blessed Virgin Mary. And so here there's this, as you're mentioning, that this does not legitimize Anything in a person's life that is contrary to what the church teaches, but it's meant to be an enrichment of God's grace to help in healing and moving toward what God is calling all of us to and the blueprint for our lives and the same parameters that He sets for me, He sets for you as well.
1: Yeah, and some people might say, well, how is that possible? You know, if they're in a same sex union, clearly. They don't agree with the church and so they must only be seeking a legitimation of their own status by seeking a blessing at all. And maybe that's true for some people. I don't know all of men's hearts. and I would encourage priests and, and people of the ordained <laughs> ministers of the of the gospel that would be considering being in this position to make this blessing or give this or not to really focus on that line is this, is this couple that is coming before me of is this is two people who, who claim to be in a romantic relationship, Are they recognizing themselves in need of help from God? And are they not claiming, they do not claim a legitimation of their own status? And Mm -hmm. that is really important for a variety of reasons. But let me give you an example. I've worked with people who have come to therapy, Timory, and I have to be vague in my descriptions and change things slightly because we respect client confidentiality. But I know people and have worked with people who are in unions with the same sex but through a slow and gentle reversion have begun coming back to church. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're starting to go back to church. And they acknowledge that something is not right. Okay, I know I'm not supposed to be in this union with someone of the same sex, but maybe I feel stuck or or maybe I'm in an addiction or maybe I I don't fully, my heart isn't fully converted yet because part of me is clinging and has attached this this old way of living but here i am and i want to be here and that is somebody that not the only type of person that comes to mind but one kind of i want to paint like a vivid picture for people of the type of person who may very sincerely be seeking god's blessing on the union they're in when they realize it's less than ideal but aren't yet able to totally renounce or revoke or move past the aspects of that relationship which are unhealthy or sinful. And I'd also like to say, Timory, when people are seeking this blessing and acknowledging themselves to be in need of help from God, we should always meet them with compassion first. That should be the default. And this document says that a lot. It reiterates it multiple times. That people who acknowledge themselves humbly as sinners like everyone else, grace should be our initial reaction, not a measuring stick. Because anyone who shows even the slightest openness to the God of creation, who loves them infinitely more than we could ever love them, God will use that like a crack in the door to burst through with his mercy and love and continue to, to gently and patiently and slowly move their hearts and minds. And I actually want to emphasize this even more because you don't know what ha- that person's life has consisted of to lead to where they are and what it's mm-hmm. taken for them and God to move in their lives to bring them back to at least being open to the church. And so we should water those seeds as best we can as members of the of the body of Christ.
0: That's Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Michael Gasparo. He is on the front line working with people who experience same-sex attraction, especially who want to live in accordance with their Catholic faith, have unwanted same-sex attraction, are trying to work on healing and things that have happened in their lives. And Michael, we're diving into the topic of the document that came out of the church yesterday on blessings. Mainstream media is saying that the church is now blessing same-sex marriages, same-sex unions, because there's no such thing as same-sex marriage. Because You can't have marriage without a man and a woman and the potential for new human life through that union. Uh, This is an important topic, and I'm so glad that this document is here to clarify for anyone who says, hey, the church can change what it teaches. And some people might even say, because there are two word, three words in there where in the actual document near the beginning, it says development and an innovative contribution. And these three words I think people are using to exploit what the document itself teaches. Because if you read all the way to the bottom, it actually clarifies that it's working to expand our understanding of what a blessing is. Now, people such as Father James Martin, who is a priest who tends to not always teach what the church teaches, he put a tweet out or on whatever you call it now on X. And he claimed that now, but he said, people are trying to claim that nothing has changed. But actually before this document, I couldn't bless the same sex union. And now I can, and that's not, or he said people who with same sex trash, something like that. And it was just so confusing in that he, he's not telling the truth. He could bless anyone absolutely anyone you don't even have to be catholic to receive a blessing from a priest you could be a sinner you could be a saint i mean there is such a strong i think clarification what a blessing is that honestly this document shouldn't even be necessary and you gave an example that i thought was really important because it's also talking about irregular situations that people can be in And I remember growing up, there was a family who we had grown up with. Kids were peers of some of my younger siblings. And... It ended up being that the mom of the family was Catholic. I had no idea. And we'd started seeing her at mass. And she had years, uh, years ago fallen away from the church, come back in, got married outside of the church, had multiple children with the man who she was married to uh, civilly, but not in the church. And she wanted to bring her marriage into the church. But her husband wasn't on the same page. Her husband didn't go to church. And so she was going to father, asking for his blessing, going to receive the sacraments. But she was in an irregular situation that she was trying to keep her family intact. And while the church would call her to live chastely in that relationship, while she's trying to keep her family intact and not engage in any intimate um, activity with someone who's not her husband in the eyes of the church, she was navigating a very complicated situation with the hope of bringing that seemingly marriage into the church. And so it gives situations such as these clarity and that this woman absolutely needs the blessings of the church. But just because she desires her marital situation to be married in the eyes of the church doesn't mean that it is so without the sacrament and the fullness of what it is. And in her case, it requires consent of her husband. And in the case of couples who are in same-sex relationships, that actually requires a man and a woman, not a man and a man, or vice versa with women. See kind of that clarification that I think sometimes we we throw into marital situations, Michael, that I think gives a lot of clarity for people who are maybe trying to work through these situations.
1: Yeah. And I think that there is probably a significant difference to discuss in terms of pastoral care. The document itself, as Father James Martin is claiming, is is not as nearly as big of a shift as he would like it to be. And so he's he's highlighting the things he wishes he can well. There's bring no out shift at all. Yeah, there's but, no shift at you know, all. It's just, I only it's can comment on same. him because he's a public figure and he right. delights in and commenting on these things publicly. So I'm not interested in dragging people through the mud, but he is also stoking confusion, I think, based on his own desire for what the church should or should not do. Um, right. the, the thing that I would note that is, I think, probably an advancement in pastoral care is that the document acknowledges that if someone is in an irregular situation, like the one you described, or in a same-sex union, they, that they acknowledge that someone may have aspects of that relationship that are true, good, and humanly valid in their lives, and that their relationships be enriched, healed, and elevated by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the church is sort of saying, like, we acknowledge that you're in a relationship of some kind with this other person, and that there are aspects of it that are not sinful, And I think there was fear in the past that acknowledging any good within a regular situation of of a married man and a woman who are, you know, not married in the eyes of the church or in a same-sex union claiming to be in some kind of civil union or maybe legally in some kind of civil union, if, oh, if we, you know, acknowledge any good between these two people, then somehow we're going to send them down the slippery slope of continuing that and never repenting from it. Um, And I think this document does challenge us to see them where they are and also see potentially good aspects of God working through people in irregular situations. You know, somebody can be loving towards another person of the same sex. We know that through just healthy friendship, right? So those two people who are in a same-sex union may have aspects of their relationship that are friendship-oriented. But anything that is imitating marriage, leading towards marriage, sexual in nature, all of those aspects of the relationship that would be disordered or in the church's eyes uh, clouded by sin like this relation like this document says Mm -hmm. then that aspect of the the relationship is what we're asking the holy spirit to reveal so the hope would be i think this document highlights that by helping bring blessing to these people, you're actually bringing the Holy Spirit to help them have deeper conversion of heart away from the aspects of their relationships that are sinful. And the reality is, Timory, if it's a same-sex union, it can never be elevated to the status of marriage. It will never be able to because it's intrinsically disordered. But if there is an a opposite-sex couple in an irregular situation, it could help move them towards legitimizing their marriage as a sacramental marriage. Or if it's a same-sex union, it could help move them towards separating the aspects and teasing out and undoing the knots of sin that are clouding that relationship and helping establish maybe one day a separation and better boundaries and a real authentic friendship not based in disordered desires, etc.,
0: So, clarifying, I love that you point to this almost perfectionist mindset where the church is saying, just like it has always said, and it isn't—it's no development in what the church has taught. It's saying there's no changes. It's saying basically get over this perfectionist mindset of being unable to see the good in people and good even that can come out in the midst of the situations. Not that it's good, but that there's still good interactions people have. And I'll just give a brief example. I have had multiple family members and same-sex unions. In fact, same-sex unions that have lasted much longer than my own life and who were around us. And can I say that there was respect and there were loving interactions between them and also toward my family and others and that we enjoyed our time with them? Absolutely. And I think that that's the good that we're being encouraged to see while still recognizing these blessings can, as you're saying, Michael, reveal God willing through his, through God's grace, that the people are being open to God shedding light in those areas of those relationships that need to come into the church. If perhaps it's a union between a man and a woman that needs to be brought in their marriage, be brought into the church, or where severing of certain types of behaviors need to dissipate. And there needs to be simply a friendship on the part of people who are in relationships with people of same sex that are entering into areas of intimacy that are only meant to be reserved for people within the context of Of marriage between a man and a wife, husband and wife. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gaspar. We're happy to take any of your questions, clarifying this and dive a little deeper into this controversial topic that is completely being falsely reported on in the media today. We'll be right back. conversation on the headlines you're hearing all over in the media that the Catholic Church now blesses same-sex relationships. It's not true. Nothing's changed in the church's teaching. And there's much more to this document as we, as we unpack today with, with Michael Gasparo here on Trending. So I hope you'll listen to the full episode. But I want to kind of put together this concise viewpoint of this. I want to start with the same fact. Sodomy is a sin and always will be. And I just need to put it out there because I'm getting a lot of questions that people are having surrounding this topic. Nothing's changed in the church's teaching. This is a clarifying document explaining what is a blessing and what isn't a blessing, namely a sacrament, and when these blessings shouldn't and should be imparted. And so, While there are lies, and even some people within the church are coming out with public statements, I can think of one priest in particular who claimed, and this is not true, he said, before I was forbidden to bless same-sex couples at all, and today with some some limitations, I can't. That's not true. And here's where the clarification is. A person can always be blessed, not the sin. This is not the sacrament of Matrimony, and in fact, these blessings are not supposed to take place within the context of the liturgy, within the context of the Mass, or any type of liturgical celebration, such as the marriage rite. In fact, the document very clearly addresses the prudential judgment that needs to be used on the part of the priests in terms of the timing in which they will impart these blessings, and that you, specifically, the pastor needs to use prudence and wisdom. I'll read directly from the document and quote, avoiding all serious forms of scandal and confusion among the faithful. And it goes on to say that these blessings should be simple, they should be um they should be in an effort to avoid scandal. So in other words, a couple should not be brought up in an irregular marital situation in the eyes of civil society, not in the eyes of the church. So when people aren't marrying in the church, um, for example, man and woman, when people uh, who are man and man, consider themselves married and are not in the church, not married in the church because they can't, for example, in the civil union, that these people should not be brought up, for example, in front of the whole congregation for a blessing. They shouldn't be brought up during mass for a blessing. These are things that should not occur because the document's clear. We should avoid all serious forms of scandal and confusion. And sex outside of marriage is still a sin. Sodomy is still still a sin nothing has changed. And that's really key in this conversation because it, here the priests are being told to not go out offering blessings to irregular situations. So don't advertise these blessings to people and saying, Hey, I'm blessing this type of situation. I'm blessing that type of situation. These are spontaneous, simple blessings where I could have a friend who is an addict and that person's living less than, uh, is not living a lifestyle that is in court accord with with moral behavior. And yet I can say, Father, can you please bless my friend? And the hope that the blessing imparted by the priest, giving grace to this person, that that may assist this person overcoming their addiction and healing. That's an example. And I'd like us to consider that in the same way when it comes to people in abnormal situations, when it comes to their sex lives and that's what this is at the end of the day but the mainstream media as a part of the sexual revolution wants to say these relationships are being blessed by the church and therefore this this type of union is being blessed by the church no these people who just like you and i are sinners are asking for blessings and they should be If we were to clarify it in a private type of situation, the document clarifies that these blessings should not come, uh, should not occur within the context of or even within proximity to, let's say, a civil union in the court. It should not show when these blessings occur. And again, they're not supposed to be these public blessings. They shouldn't include any type of clothing that you'd wear to a marriage or any type of gestures that would occur within the context of a wedding and it should, again, be nowhere near a civil union. And so the church is really clear on this entire situation. Some people like to refer to it as a development or something innovative that's come out of the church. That language is really confusing because you can't innovate within theology. Sounds great and fun if you're an artist, but that's not what we do when it comes to the church's teaching. It's not possible. And that's what's so beautiful is that the Holy Spirit really is protecting at a point in human history when the world wants to say anything goes, love is love. The church is really protecting that we bless people, we don't bless sin, and that we call everyone to conversion. So no matter the circumstances, we're all called, no matter our marital status or uh type of situation where we're all called to behavior modification we're all called to confession we're all called to affirm amendment of purpose we're called to live in accordance with the will of god which means we follow the blueprint he has for our lives and i think that even a simple explanation to consider too and i understand this more and more as a parent now but there are things that your children do and parents who have had children who've left the church and if who have lived adverse lifestyles, know this better than anyone. You love your child. You don't love their behavior. And God willing, we can work toward that perfect love of God the Father, where we love that child unconditionally while not sanctioning or or approving unfaithful or outright sinful behaviors that they engage in. Oh my 3-year-old in the chaos of the day that can ensue does really good things and can do really naughty things at times. And sometimes when I'm punishing her, I might bring her in close and hug her and say, "I love you. However, don't do that. Don't hit your sister or don't you know, don't do that dangerous thing whatever it was, but I can do it within the context of love and the blessings are totally different and that they're far superior to me hugging my child, telling her I love her and correcting her at the same time. This blessing is blessing a person out of love and giving the grace imparted by God. It's not saying, hey, what you did was good. It's saying, let me give you this unconditional love for you and your person, not for behaviors. And so these distinctions are really important in hoping that we can see the conversion of people and draw them into the church. And as as lgbtq activists try to say that the church's teaching has changed or as they continue to try to say yeah this whole conversation about blessing isn't enough we still want same sex marriage in the church there will be ongoing fights to try and get that and in fact you're going to continue to see headlines like you have this week in the mainstream media over same sex marriage and claiming that it can that the church's teaching can change but it can't and that's why we continue to see these headlines over and over again, every time something clarifying what the church teaches comes out because people want to see that change, but God has a blueprint for the human person. God has a blueprint for our lives, and we're called to conform our lives to His way of living. Now, I'd love to take some questions on this topic. I know Joseph in West New York's on the line, or New York, New Jersey. Welcome to Trending, Joseph. What's your question today? Oh, hi, Tim. Uh, I wonder, let's say two points. I think the blessing is a good idea because people, they need grace. And do these people realize when they're coming for the blessing what it's all about? And do they also, can they receive communion? Oh yeah, so really two separate questions. So does a person know what the blessing is all about? Well, when we're being blessed, we're calling down God's grace to help us live our lives, right? In conformity to him. So do, do, do people fully understand what they're asking for when they're asking for a blessing? I think, Joseph, that there are people who are going to come to priests and they're asking for a blessing of their circumstances and situation. In terms of, they're asking for like an affirmation and approval. That's not what the church is dispensing. And I think that while someone could come in a confused way asking for something that the church can't give, they may not fully understand what the church is giving in that blessing. And so I think that's a great question that people aren't always going to understand, just like we don't fully understand the great mystery of God's grace and mercy in our lives. Some people, I agree, are not going to understand. The second question, which I think is a great question that I think is a confusing one for some people, is that people are saying, oh, so if you're in a same-sex relationship, Can you receive communion? Let's be really clear. Sex outside of marriage is still sex outside of marriage. Sodomy is still sodomy, both of which are sins. And if you are in a state of mortal sin, which these are contexts of mortal sin, you are not predisposed to receive communion and you cannot receive communion. Nothing has changed on that front. And this is, I think, a really big issue because at the end of the day, We are called to withhold from receiving communion if we're in a state of moral sin. And I think this is something as a society that we struggle to be self-aware and self-reflective enough to humbly refrain from receiving our Lord Jesus Christ in communion. And if you are in a relationship that is contrary to what the church teaches, if you're engaging in sexual activity outside of the confines of man, woman, marriage in the eyes of the church, then no, you can't present yourself for communion. That is a key question here that I think is being confused in this whole conversation. So great question, Joseph. You're listening to Trending the right here on Relevant Radio. Coming up, we're diving into the wise men and was the star of the wise men that the wise men followed? Was it really a star historically? And we'll dive into the topic of judgment as we prepare for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is Advent. part series on the four last things that the church takes our focus to at the end of the calendar year starting with all souls day and then in this advent season as we prepare to receive our lord jesus christ we're preparing to receive the new life of christ and the grace and mercy available to us to transform our lives to call us out of the darkness, into the light, that is out of sin, into life, grace, mercy, and the life of Jesus Christ himself in the Trinity. That's what's being offered to us in the church, in the church's rich sacraments. And so the four last things the church focuses on are death, judgment, heaven, and hell, that we're pondering these things as a reality in our lives, so that we're prepared when the time comes for our judgment to enter into, God willing, God's Glorious kingdom and not elsewhere. And so today we're here discussing judgment. Yesterday was death. Today is judgment. And here's, I think, the stick in the sand of clarity death is final. When death occurs, we are judged then on the basis of our lives lived up until that point of death. And so when I think that there is a ton of terrible theology both sometimes taught, not representing what the church teaches, and sometimes just this made-up belief. I've heard it many times before where people will say, I really do believe, you know, after a person dies, when they go to see Jesus, that you know, Jesus will just say, you know, do you love me and, you know, do, do you regret all of those things? And people will say, yeah, I love you. I want to go to heaven. And yeah, I'm sorry for those things. I'll get to go. I think a lot of people really do believe that. But here's the deal. If you've lived your whole life living in a particular way, and at the end of your life do you really think that all of a sudden you're going to be detached not just say things because it's not just that you say it, that you are actually detached from those sins to actually want to live a life with Christ. You, this is why we have purgatory because purgatory is a place for those who died and they don't have mortal sin but they're still attached to sin. They're still attached to their venial sin and They could not fathom being with God. They're not prepared to receive God and be with God in heaven. And so purgatory is to help purge them of those impurities because they might even have a hard time answering some of those questions and being with them. And so I think this view that we have falsely often of our judgment and getting to go to heaven really needs to be clarified. Death is final and we're judged on the basis of our lives lived. Culture dislikes death. Uh, The culture loves to be in favor of you do you, love is love, as we're discussing earlier. And yet death itself debunks relativism. Death itself and judgment debunks relativism. Contrary to modernist ideas, a Catholic teaching is very clear that God offers his mercy, but we have to want his mercy and then we receive it, but we're still called to conversion. That's part of God's justice. Giving God what is due and what is due to God is our very lives. And so there are two types of judgment that we will receive after we die. Our particular judgment and then the final judgment. Our particular judgment occurs when we die, when you in particular die. And the final judgment occurs at the end of the world, the end of earth. We're all going to be judged. God will separate. God will separate us and determine whether or not we are in heaven or in hell. And we'll see that resurrection, God willing of our bodies into heaven. And so St. Alphonsus Liguori is someone who I love to read and ponder his work when it comes to the topic of judgment. Because he helps us in having extreme clarity on the necessity of taking seriously sin. And one of my favorite books of his, Preparation for Death, it's actually probably one of my favorite all-time favorite Catholic books. He says, The habitual sinner is in no way affected by Jesus, that is. The habitual sinner will speak of these things and hear them spoken of with indifference, as if they were things that concerned him not, and he will only become more hardened. I appreciate this statement because it's a conviction for me that when we start to sin, when we have these even tiny habitual sins or larger habitual sins that are outright mortal, that we speak of them as if they're of no significance. When we hear people talk about the reality of sin, we think, oh, not me, because maybe you're not in a state of mortal sin, yet you still have terrible things that you are connected to, that you are associated with, that you're, you're falling day in and day out, maybe repeatedly throughout your day. It may not be mortal sin, but you know it. You may think, oh, it's just a bad habit, but it's actual habitual sin. St. Alphonse Liguori says, a bad habit by degrees destroys even remorse of conscience. To the habitual sinner, the most enormous sin appears as nothing, says St. Augustine, who says, sins, however horrible, when once habitual, seem little or no sin at all. In other words, once we've formed habits, we fail to see them as sins. And so, what Saint Alphonsus Ligori, what Saint Augustine, the great history of the Church, is calling us to is awareness and examination of conscience, so that we are prepared for our death, because we are confessing our sins to God, receiving His grace and mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation, but that we're amending our lives. We're mortifying our bodies, our spirit, so that we might enter into union with God, so that we're prepared for that judgment. I love a a handful of lines from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, that was part of the Liturgy of the Hours a few days ago, as we're in these final days of Advent, in this time of preparation, anticipation to receive Christ, to conform our lives to Him. In Romans 13, we read, It's now time for you to awake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. I love this. The time, the night is spent. The time is gone that we had. It's time to wake up and put on our Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. This is the call of the church at this season during Advent. To prepare for our judgment. To prepare the way of the Lord. And to really start doing very deep work to root out and eradicate sin from our lives, take that sin to confession and step into the conversion that God is calling each and every single one of us to. We'll dive deeper into our four-part series on death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Heaven will be on Thursday here on Trending. I do want to speak for a moment as we're in this Advent season of the Star of Bethlehem. I've always been fascinated by astrology. It's one of those things that I would love to know more about, um, sorry, astrology, astronomy. Um, (laughs) I would love to, you know, study the stars more and see more of the constellations. And I would love it, especially with kids now, though the time I take to uh, get outside and see the stars as much as I did, I, I defer to sleep by far. But I remember some years ago when there was this this big ordeal about Jupiter in the sky, and it was shining so brightly. And it was for, I want to say, a good month or two, and it was right around the time of Christmas. And all of this research started being published about the significance of Jupiter shining brightly and how in the history of looking at astronomy that studies over and over again have pointed actually to the star of Bethlehem and that star that we read about in Matthew chapter 1 that the Magi would have followed all the way to Bethlehem to see the newborn king of the Jews and in fact there are three different very prominent very very prominent astronomers who have actually pointed to the reality of the fact that we have historical dating back to the time of about seven to six bc where there's a light in the sky that is consistent with what would have been the star of bethlehem and it's the it's the conjunction of two stars jupiter and saturn coming together shining so brightly to make up that bright star that we know as a star of bethlehem so i'll post a really neat article about this food for thought especially for your skeptic family members